Well, amen to that. Uh, the statement of faith is really exciting. Uh, we have copies of it available at the information table, and I'd encourage you to grab it. And I love the way that uh, Jeff expressed our desire, which is that, that the study of God would lead to the worship of God, that theology would lead to doxology. So uh, grab this statement of faith uh, if you don't have a copy and consider using it in your devotions, use it in a way that stirs you to Christ. Today's, oh, there's also a resource table out there uh, off to the right that has other resources that will encourage you in studying doctrine and, and, uh, and looking more into in knowing God in deeper ways. Um, that table off to the right is not free. So if you take a statement of faith from the information table, free. If you take a book from the table, stealing. Okay, so pay for those books. Don't steal. Pay for those books. They'll be there on Tuesday nights when you have community group. You can drop the money in the, the box out in the lobby. Um, but use those resources to, uh, to grow nearer to God. So today is the second part of our We Believe series, exploring the statement of faith. And I feel like Jeff's introduction there helps to make it feel less formal, because that, that term, statement of faith, it feels very formal. And in, in, way, in many ways, it is. It's a, it's a bound document. It's a document that was meticulously researched and written and edited, reviewed by every Sovereign Grace Church eldership and discussed and revised and finally approved over a period of seven years. But it is not something that we want to uh, turn away from as if it's formal, uh, because a statement of faith is really just something that the church has done throughout the ages. It is just a collection of doctrines that we hold as true. A doctrine is a summary of what the Bible teaches about a particular topic. And so today, we're looking at the first part of the statement of faith, which is about the Scriptures. We begin with the Scriptures because it's there that God tells us who He is and what He's like. So I'm not here to preach the statement of faith. I'm going to exegete and preach God's Word. But the statement of faith, when you read it, you will see it is so rich with Scripture references. There are over 450 footnotes to Scripture verses just in these 60 pages. Uh, and so it's written in such a way that will encourage your faith, give you direction on how to live the Christian life. So... You can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, start at the very beginning, and let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for the Scriptures. We thank you for your Word. And we pray now that as it is preached, your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would know you more, that we would be shaped by it, that we would be brought to the truth where we would find hope and strength and grace. But I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. O oh Lord, my rock and my salvation. Amen. Okay, we are in Genesis chapter 1, and we are going to look at one verse, and it's verse number 3. And we're only going to read the first part of it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. 
And God said. And God said. Now, an Adam, and because we're in Genesis, let me define that, not Adam as in the man, A-D-A-M, but an Adam, A-T-O-M, is the smallest unit of ma- that matter can be reduced to. And when this smallest of units of matter is split, it can produce a chain reaction that gives off an immense amount of energy. Now, this may be the shortest text that I have ever tried to preach from, but like the split atom, the smallest of texts has an immense impact. And this text generates an immense chain reaction that resonates throughout Scripture and becomes the first of our most central doctrines, the doctrine of the Scriptures, which are the Word of God. And so today, we are going to see that God has spoken through the Scriptures to clearly give you everything you need to know Him, to love Him, and obey Him. God has spoken through the Scriptures to clearly give you everything you need to know Him, love Him, and obey Him. We're going to begin here in these first words of Genesis 1-3. And we're going to answer these questions. Why do the Scriptures begin with God speaking? What does this mean for our understanding of the Scriptures, and how should we respond to it? So why do the Scriptures begin with God speaking? Genesis 1-3 is God's first act in creation. And with His first act, God reveals something about Himself. He reveals that He is a communicative God. That means God speaks. God talks. God communicates. Later in verse 26, God creates humans and he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He speaks within himself. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit communicate with one another. They speak to one another. The triune God, that comes later in our statement of faith. Don't want to rush ahead, but the triune God makes us in their own image, created with language and speech. Language is not something that was a human invention. Language exists as a part of God's nature. And God put that nature in you. You were made to communicate with God, to talk with God, to have a relationship with God. God. That is a profound calling. In Genesis 1-3, we learn that through God speaking, that He is the God of absolute power and truth. God speaks, and whatever He says happens. That is absolute power. Maybe you're familiar with the Far Side comics. And maybe you've seen the author of The Far Side, Gary Larson. He imagines the creation from time to time. And he usually has God in some form looking like a human being standing at a table or working in a kitchen. And he's just taken the half-baked earth out of the oven. You know, it's, it's an imaginative scene, but it is so wrong. There's no kitchen. There's no oven. There's no ingredients. God's 
Speech is his only tool. God's words are the only thing he uses to create. Ten times in Genesis 1, these words of our texts are repeated. And God said. And God said. And God said. And every time, it was so. Every time, it became true. Absolute power. Absolute truth. And so our statement of faith says he both creates and governs through his words. God speaks and the atoms that we talked about splitting, every one of them came into being and is continually sustained by God's word. The book of Genesis is written to demonstrate God's absolute power and truth in a specific way here to the original readers. Genesis was written by Moses. It was written after the Exodus. It was written to the Israelites who were steeped in the region, in the religions of Egypt and Babylon, where every part of the creation was attributed to be its own deity. But God's word dispels with the gods of the nations. It's like God is saying to the Israelites, okay, the sun and the moon are not gods. They're creations. I spoke them into existence. The animals that you so quickly want to run out and make a statue of a golden calf and bow down and worship it, it's not a God. But I am. And I spoke the animals into existence. Don't worship rocks and trees. Worship me. I created the heavens and the earth just by speaking. In this first act of speaking, God also demonstrates that he is a self-revealing God. The Lord is a self-revealing God. He makes himself known. And God said, and all of creation then tells about him and reflects his glory. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Romans chapter one, for his invisible attributes, namely his divine power. So God's divine power or his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he's made. God reveals himself through his creation. That's called God's general revelation. He speaks and his creation reveals his general existence and glory to everyone. But God did not just speak Generally, he also reveals himself through what is referred to as special revelation. This is where God reveals his character, his salvation, and that special revelation is only found in the Bible. That's what it means in Hebrews chapter 1 when it says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He reveals himself generally through creation, but specifically reveals his character and his salvation through the prophets, the scriptures, through his son, Jesus. Why do the scriptures begin with God speaking? To establish a pattern for our understanding. God speaks and reveals himself. In creation, he spoke his goodness, his glory, and his love, but we turned away and sinned and rejected God. 
And so God and comes and sends prophets and he speaks through the prophets, calling sinful people to repent and come back into his goodness and his glory and his love. But our hearts were hard and we continued to stray. Then he spoke through Jesus, his son, God himself, the word taking on flesh and living a perfect life and dying on the cross as we testified in our creed this morning for our sinful rebellion, rising from the dead and offering forgiveness and eternal life to anyone who will believe. The message of the gospel, it's not only the most important message you will ever hear, but it's the only essential message you will ever hear. And it's spoken to us through God's special revelation in the Bible. He speaks to save us. God has spoken through the scriptures to clearly give you everything you need to know him, love him, and obey him. So what does this mean for our understanding of the scriptures? Well, it means that the word is God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 describes it this way. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The Greek word there is theonoustos, which means divinely breathed out. Sometimes it's translated as inspiration, meaning, meaning breath going into it. It's, it's better translated expiration. It's God breathing out. The scriptures come to us as God's exact words, inspired, breathed out by him, but they come through the volition of human agents. Well, what does that mean? The volition of human agents. But it means that the people who wrote the Bible, men like Paul, men like Moses, were freely using their own minds, their own skills, their own knowledge, their own vocabulary to write what God was communicating. And at the same time, God was breathing out every specific word as he intended it to be written. Since the scriptures are breathed out by God, they are inerrant. It means they're free from error or untruth, and they are infallible, incapable of being false or incorrect. The Bible is true. Psalm 1830 says, this God, his way is perfect, and the word of the Lord proves true. For thousands of of years, the integrity of God's word has remained intact. God has preserved it and declared that nothing should be added to it or taken away from it. Our statement of faith says that all scripture is breathed out by God, being accurately delivered through various human authors by the inspiration and sovereign agency of the Holy Spirit. We therefore receive the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments as the perfect, infallible, authoritative word of God. So through scholarship of the ages and through the providence of God's hand, we have seen God preserve the canon of Scripture for the church and through the church. Now, why is inerrancy so important? Well, because without it, we have a huge problem. In fact, without it, 
we lose everything. If the word of God has mistakes, then we're left to wonder if we can trust God at all. If the Bible has errors, then how do we know if those errors only affect little details or major doctrines? The doctrine of inerrancy is rooted in what we have already stated and what God speak, that what God speaks is truth. Jesus affirms that in John 17, 17, he prays to the Father on our behalf, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. That word, the Greek word, aletheia, not only indicates that God's word is true, but it is truth itself. This gives us confidence. Confidence to trust God and his word because we know that it is true. God has spoken through the scriptures to clearly give you everything you need to truly know him, love him, and obey him. Now, traditionally, the church has defined characteristics of the scriptures that our statement of faith also affirms. Generally, there are four of these, the authority, the necessity, the clarity, and the sufficiency of scriptures. And each of those is derived from what God has spoken in the Bible, and they have significant impact on us in our lives. We don't often think about the authority of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture as, as having an impact on our day-to-day -day lives, but they do. So let's take a look at these four characteristics of Scripture. The first is the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. We began in Genesis 1-3, and God said. God's word are his absolute power, and what he says comes into being. What God creates, he owns, and he rules over with absolute authority, and therefore, God's scriptures come with authority. Now, every analogy is going to fall short, but in a small way, it's as if you're driving to event, an event, and you're running late. Not sure if you can relate to that, but for some reason that pops in my head. You're driving to an event, you're running late, and you get there, and there's no place to park, and so you pull up on the grass. And as you're leaving your car, you, you, you hear someone say, hey, you can't park there. And you turn around, and you look, and you look at this person, and you say, yep, they have no authority to tell me what to do. And so you just click your fob, lock your car, and you go into your event. Now, if you hear someone say, you can't park there, and then you turn around, and she's wearing a police officer's uniform, Suddenly, authority has entered the picture. It comes through the uniform. It comes through the badge. It comes through a threat of $250 in parking tickets and having your car towed. Who is speaking matters in the realm of authority. In the Bible, God is speaking. The Bible has ultimate authority. But how do we know it's God's speaking? It's important to understand that the scriptures are a self-attesting authority. That's an important phrase, a self-attesting authority. We know that it's God speaking because over 450 times the Bible uses the phrase, thus says the Lord. That's another atomically small phrase packed with significant and significance and setting off a chain reaction. 
thus says the Lord. That is the echo of Genesis 1-3, and God said. And the authority of God is radiating through the Bible, declaring that what God says has ultimate authority. Now, some people are going to look at that argument and say, hey, that's circular reasoning. You're just saying the Bible's God's authority because the Bible says it's God's authority. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because that's the only way that you can make an absolute claim of authority, right? Once you say that this thing is proven to be an authority because something else affirms that it's an authority, well, then you've made this the actual authority. Whatever's reference becomes the new authority. This is true for any absolute claim. So if anyone tells you using circular reasoning or the scriptures, just ask them, what is their ultimate authority? And how do they know? We know that the word of God is the ultimate authority. It tells us that it is, and we can stand on that. So how should we respond to the authority of the scriptures? Since God's word has authority, it makes claims on us that we are obligated to believe and obey. But these claims also come with the promise of God's presence and blessing, and so we should submit ourselves with gratitude and obedience to the Bible. The statement of faith says it this way, we come to know that the Bible is God's word through Scripture's own self-attesting authority and by the work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness through the word in our hearts. As the Scriptures are preached and read, the Spirit delights to illuminate our minds so we understand, cherish, and obey his word. We should receive God's self-attesting truth as firm ground on which to base our actions in this life and to base our hope for the next life. Now, some of you may be listening today and you're aware that you have not submitted yourself to God's word and the authority of God's word. You just can't bring yourself to give up the freedom of self-determination. See, you think that you're living under your own authority, but you are really just resisting the only true authority. And you're preparing yourself to face God's judgment. But you don't need to face his judgment. Jesus died and shed his blood to forgive your sins so that you can humble yourself and find forgiveness and truth and life in him. Repent and believe today is the day of salvation. Now there are others here who are Christians, but there are areas of your life that you have been unwilling to submit to God's authority. Maybe it's the way you treat your spouse. Maybe it's about your participation in fellowship or your church attendance or about relationships or plans for the future or your use of social media, your actions online, your entertainment intake, your finances. Where do you need to repent and bring those areas under the authority of God's word? What you need to do is open up your Bible and study. You need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to conform you to God's word. We sang earlier, I need you, Jesus. will get into his word. Confess to someone in your community group. Get some accountability and benefit from others' perspectives and from their prayer on your behalf. The second characteristic of Scripture is the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture. 
God's general revelation is seen as creation, aspects of his divine nature and glory, but the only place where God reveals himself personally and expresses the nature of his character and his moral law and reveals his gospel as the only means for salvation is in the Bible. And we need the Bible to have the hope of truly understanding the gospel. We need to live our daily lives. As Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And our statement of faith affirms that. It says the word of God is therefore necessary and wholly sufficient for knowing the Father's love in Christ, experiencing his glorious plan of redemption and being instructed in the way of fruitful and godly living. As I thought about this, I became aware that there are evangelistic implications for the doctrine of the necessity of Scripture. Because if the Scriptures are necessary for us to know the gospel, then those who have never heard need to be told. We need to realize that there are people around us, neighbors, co-workers, family, friends who need to hear the gospel and it is on us to bring the scriptures to them. Romans 10 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Church, we've been privileged to hear the good news Look for opportunities to share the gospel. Pray to God for those opportunities and take them when they come. Let our feet be swift to take to those who have not heard or have not yet believed. The third characteristic is the clarity of Scripture. Now, clarity may not be the first word that comes to your mind when you think about the Bible. Sometimes we act like reading the Bible is like reading Shakespeare's Henry V in English class. Are now confined two mighty monarchies whose high upreared and abutting fronts the perilous narrow ocean parts asunder. Peace out our imperfections with your thoughts into a thousand parts divide on man and make imaginary puissance. I have no idea what you're talking about, Shakespeare. I have no clue. But maybe that's what you feel like when you're reading the Bible. And that can be understandable because there is some getting used to reading the scriptures. There are different genres. There are historical narratives and poetry and prophecies. And having some context is always helpful in understanding what you're reading. That can also be helped by having a translation that is more accessible to your reading style. The English Standard Version, the ESV that we use on Sundays is, is very easy to understand. Not every part of Scripture is equally clear, and even the apostles admit this. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.16 that some of the things in Paul's writings are hard to understand. But the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture is the understanding that God speaks in such a way that the basic meaning of the Bible is simple enough for most people to understand. Who can deny the simplicity of a verse like Romans 5, 8? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It clearly speaks of God's love for sinners like us, of Jesus' sacrifice to show that love. 
The central message of the Bible is clear. The Bible is not just for scholars and theologians. It's not just for pastors or Bible study leaders. Even children can understand the Bible. That's why Deuteronomy 6 says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Clearly, it's expected that Jesus would te- that parents would teach their young children what God reveals about himself in the scriptures and that even children would be able to understand. Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. When Jesus taught, he wasn't teaching priests and scribes who were dedicated to the scriptures. He was just teaching the common people. And yet he taught them expecting that they generally understood the Old Testament and that they would also understand his teaching. Now we need to recognize that the Holy Spirit must be present for us to truly understand what's written in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So it's important for us to seek the help of the Holy Spirit, to illuminate, to bring to light the meaning and the purpose of what we read in the Bible. When we find sections that are challenging, the clarity of Scripture also tells us that Scripture helps interpret Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. This means that when one section seems confusing or elusive, there are other parts of the Bible that will help us to understand more clearly what the meaning and application of the first section is. This is why we deny the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that tradition or a magisterium is necessary to rightly interpret Scripture. In fact, that's part of what the Reformation was about, sola scriptura. Yes, we need to be cautious because there's always a danger of wrong and error in interpretation. But as we've seen, the Scripture itself says that God's Word is for everybody. The Holy Spirit And prayer are available to everyone. And as we seek to understand God's word, it comes to us with clarity. So how do we respond to something like the clarity of Scripture? Well, R.C. Sproul says we often fail in our duty to study Scripture, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. That hurts because it's true. We can make excuses and we can say we really don't understand the Bible, but in reality, we're just being lazy and we don't want to do the hard work of wrestling with a passage, of looking up cross-references. You guys know what cross-references are? Many Bibles have in the margin or down below, they have a list of tiny scripture references. And you might say, I never knew what that was. Well, take a look. In your Bible, you'll see there's a, there's a note. Every verse has a reference next to it. You can look up other parts of the Bible that speak about the same thing. If you're having trouble understanding one part, scholars have already put together your Bible in a way that helps you through the script, scripture references. It'll take some work But it's also a way to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture and to see the unity of the Bible. 
You'll see how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament, how the New Testament affirms and completes the Old Testament. We should be asking questions of texts and really seeking to know God. So by way of application, let's repent of our excuses. Let's lay aside the distractions and commit ourselves to read and study God's word. Find a Bible study. We have many for sale in the bookstore. Join one of the men's groups or women's Bible studies or the youth Bible studies that's going on in the church. Grab a friend or your spouse. Commit yourself to studying God's word. Sit down in a planned place every day and have your quiet time. Read and study and pray and grow. It's going to be work, but it will strengthen you. You will grow in the knowledge of God and in godliness. Our statement of faith attests that the word of God is clear and everything we need in order to know, love, and fellowship with God can be clear, plainly understood through ordinary means without appeal to any human authority. So open your Bible eagerly. God is going to meet with you and he will give you understanding. Lastly, the fourth characteristic of Scripture is the sufficiency of Scripture. Wayne Grudem says, The sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God he intended for his people to have at each stage of redemptive history, and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and obeying him perfectly. So at any point in history, God revealed through his scriptures what those people needed to know about him at that time to be redeemed. The Bible may not address every question or topic that we can think of, but it addresses every question or topic we need to hear from God on in order to live our lives of faith and holiness. The Bible is fully sufficient to diagnose the human condition it meets us in every aspect and circumstance of our lives, and it provides everything we need for life and godliness. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Scriptures are sufficient for everything. They're sufficient to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness, everything we need to love God and worship him and enjoy him forever. And with Christ's finished work, the scriptures are the completed revelation, the final authority until he comes again. What a glorious God. What a glorious word, worthy of all of our trust and all of our worship in God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust, says Psalm 56. The section of the scriptures in our statement of faith ends by saying this. As we devote ourselves to God's word, we commune with God himself and we're fortified in faith, sanctified from sin, strengthened in weakness and sustained in suffering by his unchanging revelation in scripture. The word of God is living and active in our lives. It's where God makes himself known. We began in Genesis 1-3, and God said. And the rest of that verse goes on to tell us what God said, which is, 
let there be light. And there was light. And that light began a chain reaction in Scripture that re leads straight to the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has spoken through the scriptures to clearly give you everything you need to know him, love him, and obey him. May we devote ourselves to God's word so that Christ will shine on us and we will shine Christ to the world. Amen.